It has been about a month since we were last in the book of Jude, so you can turn or make your way over to the book of Jude with vacations and, and with the youth taking over a few weeks ago, and, and with Easter last week, we didn't have time for Jude, and I miss Jude. He's like a friend. I've come to know him personally because of what he has been teaching us being able to see his heart and how he ministers. And so this morning, we are back with our friend Jude and able to spend some time with Jude and continue to be encouraged to contend for the faith. The book of Jude is, is a short book, but it's a book of warning. It's a, it's a warning to the church, and not just to the church that he was writing to back then in the first century but also to the church today. Because again, the issues that were going on back then are going on today. Guys, when, when we covered Sodom and Gomorrah uh, a few weeks ago, I mean, that was going on thousands of years ago. We're still dealing with it. So the Word of God continues to deal with issues. And so the book of Jude here, for many, as I said, is a warning. And it is an eye-opener for many. But for most Christians who have been around for a little bit, the book of Jude is just a reminder of what we should already know, of what we should be understanding in our lives. Because you see, whatever, whenever the truth of the gospel is preached and people are saved, the lie of the enemy is close behind. Always. Every, try, every time the truth goes out, and every time somebody comes to know Jesus, the enemy of our souls is right after to drag them back down. In other words, we should not be surprised to the believer or even the, the, the new believer, the young believer, that we are not in a playground. We are in a battleground as Christians. We have called to stand. We have been called to defend we have been called to, to trust in Him and, and, and to, to defend the truth, to contend for the truth. And so this is another reminder for us today as we're going to cover what we're going to be covering. That from the very beginning of the church, Satan has infiltrated, penetrated, crept into the church in an effort to diminish and weaken our faith in Jesus Christ. And so we need to continue to contend for the faith. Jude, verse 1. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, sanctified by God, the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ, mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this, for this condemnation, ungodly men, who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and the Lord Jesus Christ. But I want to remind you, though you once knew this, 
that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterwards destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. As Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner to these have given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh and set forth as an example suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Likewise also these dreamers defile the flesh reject authority, speak evil of dignitaries. Yet Michael, the archangel, in contending with the devil, when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these speak evil of whatever they do not know, and whatever they know naturally, like brute beasts, in these things... They corrupt themselves. Woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain and run greedily in the error of Balaam for profit and perished in the rebellion of Korah. These are spots in your love feasts, while they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves. They are clouds without water, carried about by the winds, late autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots, raging waters of the sea, foaming up their own shame, wandering stars, for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men, saying, also saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of the saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have committed in an ungodly way and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Verse 16, these are grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lusts, and they mouth great swelling words, flattering people, to gain advantage. But you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how they told you that there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly lust. These are sensual persons who cause division, not having the Spirit. We're going to cover verses 16 through 19 this morning. And verse 16 encapsulates, sums up, puts into a nutshell all that apostates are. And it gives us a full description of how they conduct themselves. We've been talking a lot about apostates through the book of Jude because that's what he is warning the church about these apostates. And this description that Jude gives, he, he gives us and he justifies the quote that he had just given to us from Enoch in verse 15 
by calling them ungodly. Four times in verse 15, he calls these apostates ungodly. Where once again, if we read through verse 15, he says to execute judgment on all. To convict all who are ungodly among them who are uh, among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have committed in an ungodly way and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him, against God. That's who these people are. In other words, verse 16 is the, the, the very essence of the essence of ungodliness, of, uh, of, of how they, they conduct themselves. Because this description shows us, verse 16 shows us just how dangerous these apostates are. And that they are not just out to please themselves, but they are out to take advantage of other people. To draw people away away from God and unto their own devices, their own to, to, to flatter themselves or to build up their own egos. Now, I, I know, I know that we all, as Christians, I know that we all have these types of tendencies that we look at in verse 16. To be grumblers, complainers. To walk according to our own lusts to flatter people to get our own way. I know that we all have those kinds of tendencies that we are about to cover today. But the true Christian, he fights and contends against these things in our lives because we're all capable. We all came out of that. We all came out of being non-believers who were, who were just out for ourselves. And when we come to Christ, all of a sudden, the battle begins. <laughs> Because now we read what the Word of God says and we contend against even our own flesh and the things that we were so used to doing. We fight against these kinds of tendencies. Whereas the true apostate, he doesn't have those battles. You, you, you know when, when, when you sin and when you, you fall and you get messed up and you go like, Oh God, why? <laughs> Not again. The apostate doesn't do that. It does not bother him. He continues on. He, he's almost like warped because he has snuck in unawares and he's deceiving people. The godly, we, we, we battle, we fight. And we are convicted. And, and that conviction leads us to repentance. To say, Lord, here I am again. Forgive me, Lord. Because we understand the judgment that, that, that is already taken on the cross. We know that he has died for those sins. But the ungodly, the apostate in that sense, he's quite the opposite. He's not fighting against these kinds of issues, these tendencies. He is all in. They do not respond to the conviction of the Holy Spirit that's still out in the world convicting people of sin. They've become callous to those things. And many of these apostates, unless they repent, they will die in their sin. I believe that an apostate can be saved. But as we look and we see here, they, at the end here, they do not have the Spirit of God in them. Now, I've talked about those who will walk 
as apostates that are Christians, but they are acting and they're being convicted continually because we all have those tendencies. But there are people who actually thrive on coming into the churches and destroying churches. They are workers of iniquity. They will face the judgment as verse 15 told us. But in verse 16 it says, these are grumblers. These are grumblers. I like the way the King James, he, it uses the word murmurers. <laughs> they murmur. <laughs> we don't use that word all the time. Maybe you do, I don't know. But, but you don't hear the word, oh, they're murmurers. Well, they're grumblers, they're complainers. Look at them. And that word, grumbler, it speaks of one who has a habit or makes a habit of complaining and grumbling. Now, I know that you might be going, sitting there or your spouse might be sitting there going, I think I got an apostate on my hands because <laughs> all they do, all she does is complain. That's not what I'm talking about, guys. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about somebody who is actually coming into the church to disrupt the church by grumbling. <laughs> not your little complaint about, why did you do the dishes again? That's not what we're talking about. <laughs> oh, but they complain all the time. You know that old naggy? No, never mind. I don't even go there, man. But anyway, it's not your run-of-the-mill grumbler, complainer. This truly speaks of one who is a chronic, incurable, and incorrigible grumbler, complainer, murmurer. It is the same type of, of grumbler or murmurer that, that came out of Egypt with Moses and they began to, to grumble and complain and murmur. So much so that God destroys them in the wilderness because they were trying to usurp and or corrupt and or destroy the work that God wanted to do with the children of Israel. And God destroys them. This is the type of grumbler that we are talking about. Not your wife, not your husband. You know, just the simple little... Spousal, spousal complaining here and there. That's, th th this is way bigger than all of that. Again, when we were covering this portion, back in verse uh, 5, we went to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We're not going to go there, but you can read 1 Corinthians chapter 10 of how God dealt with these complainers and with these murmurers. Because they were trying to disrupt the well-being of what God wanted to do in that sense. The word complainers, right next to grumblers, is a different Greek word than we have here for, for grumblers. Even though a grumbler is a complainer, the word complainers here has to do with one who complains about his own lot in life. They are fault finders about everything in that sense. And they blame everyone else. And at the same time, these complainers, what they're doing is they're trying to build a coalition to unite other people to think the way they think. 
to get others to see the way they're seeing things, especially within a church, to come in and begin to disrupt and to grumble and to complain. Again, they are not your run-of-the-mill complainers. They have a way about them that they give the impression that they are out to help you and to look out for you and to be on your side, all the while they are doing this, while they're doing this and drawing you in, they're causing you to be dissatisfied. Not only with your own lot in life, but they're also trying to disfigure dissatisfy you with what God has been wanting to do in your life. They're the type that will come in and bring doubt into your life of what God can actually do in your life because they want to bring you down. They're not there to help you. They're not there to build you up. They're there to destroy. And if they can do it by complaining to have you think that, man, woe is me, my life will never get better, it's like, absolutely it won't. That's what they're telling you. They want you to become dissatisfied, even with your own life. You see, because if they can make you dissatisfied with your life, they will also convince you that your spiritual life is no better. (laughs) And if they can convince you that your spiritual life is no better, then they will begin to point fingers at all the brothers and sisters in your life that haven't come to haven't come to your rescue and haven't helped you and all of a sudden it's like well i'm here to help you but those people that that say you're brothers and they always let you down they're, they're not here for you and then they just begin to go up the ladder up the chain you know that ministry that you're going to and they always like push you aside and this and that and they make you dissatisfied with just every aspect that guy up there he really doesn't care about you i care about you now, and, and, and so they begin to bring dissatisfaction within the church. They find fault in everything, and they're good at that. They're never satisfied because they know if they can, if they can bring somebody else down, now they're building their little coalition to destroy a church. Many church splits have happened because of apostates that have crept in and they begin to dissatisfy the people and then draw them away. It says that they walk according to their own lusts. As they give you the impression that they are there for you, the reality is that they are only interested, they are only just there to satisfy and gratify their own lust, their own, their own ego. The word lust here is associated with that which is forbidden in the sensual sense, but it also has a more subtle tone to it. It has to do with desire or cravings or, or, or longing for self-gratification, self-centeredness, which would be quite the opposite of other-centered. <laughs> They're just out for themselves to build their own little group. It says that they mouth great swelling words. <laughs> In today's vernacular or lingo, we would say that they are just full of hot air. 
I don't know if this little saying is still around. I know we used to use it in my neighborhood. Now you're just talking out the side of your neck. <laughs> talking a lot, a smack. You think you're all that, but you're not. It says that these guys are, are, are speaking great swelling words. I like what one of the lexicons that I was lo- looking at, I like the way it put, it put that. It says, in some languages, the equivalent of boasting words or great swelling words is words too big for what one is talking about. Words too big for what one is talking about or puffed up words or swollen words. <laughs> All of this has to do with the apostate who who is there to promote himself. Who is there to turn the people's attentions onto themselves and away from the ministry or away from what God is wanting to do in a body like this. Turning their attention eventually away from not just the body but from God himself. And if you remember the Israelites, when they, the children of Israel, when they came out of the land of Egypt, they began to murmur and complain. And all of a sudden, they, it was all about them. And they wanted to go back where they had everything. Promoting themselves and their own lifestyle. That it was better than what God was doing. And so all of this has to do with them promoting themselves making themselves sound better than others. There, there, there's there's a, a, a haughtiness that, that comes with that that's associated with what's coming out of their mouth. They're arrogant in such a way. And yet, at the same time, when they're sharing, when they're doing all these things, at the same time, they're flattering people to gain advantage. Now, without this part of how they flatter people, nobody would be listening to, to them. Because again, if you're thinking of somebody who's always grumbling, complaining, some, someone who, who is, who is uh, out for their own interests and, and, and great swelling words, you might be going, I don't even want to be around that person. But they know how to talk as well. <laughs> and they know how to flatter. And you know, I mean, flattery, man. Everybody likes flattery, don't they? People like to get flattered. And these apostates, they know exactly how to flatter people. That's the only way people will listen to them. They're going, well, you know, I mean, yeah, he talks a lot about himself, and he's drunk, you know, doing all these things, but he's such a good talker. Man, I can listen to him all day, man, because he puffs me up. (laughs) He makes me feel special. They grab your attention. They are good with words. They know how to manipulate. You see, they know how to pay the compliments to have people listen to them. But I will guarantee you, it will always be to their advantage. It will always be to their They're, they're going to get something out of you. Even if they have to give a little bit to get a lot more from you, they're going to do that. Again, it almost sounds like, man, is everybody being nicer and apostate? You know, because everybody talks nice to each other or everybody wants to be friendly. It's like, 
I think they might be an apostate. I think they're trying to reel me in. (laughs) Again, man, this is where the Holy Spirit can give you discernment. Where you pray for the gift of discernment in your life. Because again, you don't want to look at everybody that's looking looking down the row right there going, they're all apostates. (laughs) Hey, Zeke, you talk a lot. Are you an apostate? (laughs) You know? All these people that have these smiles, man. And and, and so it it, it could be kind of troublesome because you're going, gosh, I want to look at the best of everybody. And we should. But when you have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you and you've prayed for the gifts of the Holy Spirit to come upon you, that He will give you discernment in your life. And oftentimes that discernment that God gives us, we need to, it, it, it will go along with the Word of God you will begin to see the true colors of apostates. One commentator said about these apostates is that they are, quote, vocally discontented, sinfully self-centered, extravagantly egotistical, and deceptively flattering. They will go to the extreme. And that goes, back, that goes to, to the apostates from back then as well as today. Discontent, discontented, self-centered, egotistical, and flattering. Flatterers. And Jude, unflinchingly here, <laughs> identifies these apostates through this letter. That's why it's, a, it's an amazing letter, because if you really study... And if you've been with us, man, he is painting us some good pictures here that we need to take heed of. He exposes them. He exposes their character. He exposes their nature. Not just to the believers that he was writing to, but because we have the Spirit of God and we can read these things, he he reveals them to us today. And so we need to continue to contend for the faith. You see, this, this letter, I believe, is a, a call to action, a call to arms, if you will, of how we as believers are to combat and fight against the ungodly, the apostates, to fight against their deeds, their ways, and their speech, as verse 15 mentions, of all these ungodly attributes. And again, guys, he's talking about those who have crept into the church. We should understand what the ungodly do outside. They do what they do. But when they creep into the church to draw you away, then we have to take action. We have to understand that it's a battle, not just the things that we're battling out there, but the things that are coming into the church. And people that are deceiving the church. It is a call to action, a call to arms. And the book of Jude gives us the information we need. It exposes the apostate. In verses 17 through 19 it says, But you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. How they told you that there would be mockers in the last time, who would walk according to their own ungodly lusts. These are sensual persons 
who cause division not having the Spirit. This letter had been written to the believer. But Jude has spent most of his letter, most of his time in this letter describing the apostate, describing their character, their nature, what we should be aware of, what we should be on the lookout for. And now he turns his attention back to the believer, in a sense, when he says, but you, beloved, you, believer, (laughs) you who call yourself Christian, remember these things. Remember. (laughs) Because you should already know this if you've been walking with the Lord for any amount of time. That the enemy is just not out in the world. He has crept into the church. I heard a saying years ago that Satan on Saturday nights, he's not out in the bars. He's at home getting rest for church the next morning. Because he wants to deceive and he wants to hinder and he wants to turn away. You see, Jude has not hidden anything from us. He has given us a great, a great picture of what an apostate looks like. And we have taken our time throughout these last few months, whatever it's been, to really dig deep as to what an apostate looks like. Because we should know these things. We should be aware of these things. If you have not prayed for the Holy Spirit to fall upon you and have the power of the Holy Spirit that talks about in first in, in Acts 1, 8, talking about the gifts of discernment like it talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, then you need to be praying that. You need to be praying that not only is the Holy Spirit in you, but it would be upon you in such an active way that it gives you the spiritual eyes to see what's going on in our lives. Quit, quit hiding our heads in, in, in the ground about issues that are going on in our lives. Just like we talked about a little, a little earlier, there's issues that are happening in our lives and people are infiltrating the church. And if we keep our heads on the ground, we're going to be blinded to all of this. But He's given us His Holy Spirit. He's given us gifts and the gift of discernment is a powerful gift. He says, remember the words. Remember the words. Now, these believers that he is writing to back then, they did not have the complete Bible like we do. They did not have all the New Testament like you and I do. But many of them were hearing it firsthand from the the apostles. Some even secondhand, but they were close enough. They were hearing what the apostles of Jesus Christ had said. But notice how Jude here doesn't put himself in that same class of the apostles. I I, I caught that as I was looking at it here. He says, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ, how they told you. He didn't put himself in that same place. And I thought about that and I thought, you know, here, here's the brother, the half-brother of Jesus, but he didn't believe. It wasn't until after the resurrection that he believed. Now, he could be called, some consider him an apostle, but from what I, I look at here, he's like, no, those guys, the guys that actually walked with Jesus, says, remember what they have said. 
Now, by the time that Jude is writing this letter, the book of Acts has already been written. Paul and Peter's letters have already been out there and maybe even circulating. And what I want to do, I want to give you some scriptures, and you can write these things down because I have them all on my notes here, but I'm not going to turn to them, of, of things that were said by the apostles to, to encourage the Christian to be careful, to beware. Beginning in Acts chapter 20, verses 29 through 31, Luke writing about what Paul said as Paul is talking to the Ephesian elders as he's ready to go. He says, but know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore, watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, Paul writing to his protege, Timothy. He says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceptive spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasures rather than lovers of God, having the form of godliness but denying its power from such people turn away. 2 Timothy 4, 3 and 5, 3 to 5, he says, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, they will have itching ears. They will heap up for themselves teachers. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things. Enduring affliction, do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill the ministry. Now Peter, in 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, Peter writing to, to a region, but to all believers basically, in chapter 2 of 2 Peter, verses 1 and two, 3, it says, There were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them. And bring on themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their destructive ways. Because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. By covetousness they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time their judgment has not been idle. And their destruction does not slumber. Second Peter 3, 3-4 
knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all these things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. That last one sounds really similar to what we've just covered in Jude. You see, once again, whenever the gospel of truth is shared and people are being brought to the light, the lies of the enemy are close behind. Pulling them back or wanting to pull them back into the darkness. And the apostles were sent out As the church was born, they were being sent out into the world with the authenticity of the Word of God, of the good news, of the gospel. And it didn't take long before the counterfeits came to pull people away to destroy what God wanted to do. So because of that, the apostles also gave the warnings that there would be those who would creep in unnoticed. This became part of the gospel message that men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. And it hasn't changed, guys. It hasn't changed. From the fall of man, when sin entered in, there's always been this darkness. And when we come to the light, the darkness wants to pull us back in and overtake us. But the darkness cannot comprehend the light. It cannot overtake the light unless we allow it unless we decide not to shine the light and be drawn away by those who will bring destruction. The gospel of Christ warns us to be aware, to be vigilant, to not neglect, to remind the church of the opposition that is out there. As much as we like to hear the good news of love and and grace, and mercy, and redemption, and and salvation. It is just as important to hear about the warnings that the good news gives us. We need to understand these warnings. And Paul and Peter knew this, and they understood this, and how important it was, because Paul, writing to the Philippians, in chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, says, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write such... The same thing to you is not tedious, but it is safe. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the mutilation. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. Peter, in his second letter, chapter 1, verses 12 through 15, he says, For this reason I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth, yes, I think it is right as long as I am in this tent to stir up by reminding you, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent, just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Moreover, I will be careful to assure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. The apostles did not neglect their duty to share not only the good news of salvation, but also the good news of the warning because Satan is alive and well and he wants to destroy the work of God every day, every day in your life. And then at the end, verse 19, 
where he says, these are sensual persons who cause division. Who cause division. This is the primary purpose of the apostates. They hate the unity of the brethren. It is the last thing they want. When somebody comes in and they're trying to dissuade or to persuade or to draw away, and yet they see a unity among the brethren, they just go to the people that are on the fringe. They go to the people that are just on the outside. Maybe those who who are weak and maybe hurt by somebody in the church, they'll go to them and they'll draw them in to cause division. Proverbs 6, 16 through 19 says, These six things the Lord hates, yes, seven are an abomination to him, a proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift in running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among the brethren. Guys, time and time again, we are being warned throughout the Word of God. These are the things that God hates. We, we have covered these things time and time again throughout the book of Jude. And I know that some of you might be wondering, could what Pastor Zeke is saying talking about me? <laughs> because oftentimes we look at each other and go, whoa. And the fact that you're thinking that more than likely proves that you're not an apostate. Because if you were an apostate, you'd be going, doesn't matter what he says. I have my own agenda. I know what I'm going to do here. The fact that you worry about like messing up and being an apostate more than likely, and you're going, Lord, I'm so sorry. It's like, oh no, see, the fact that you're asking for forgiveness, the fact that you're being convicted of this and you're, 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 you're repenting of these things, of these tendencies, to me, proves that you're probably not an apostate like that. But here's the key to all of this. It's at the end of verse 19. Not having the Spirit. They do not have the Spirit of God. And if you're there, if you're going like, being convicted is like, is it me? Is it, is it me? It's, it's like, oh, do you have the Spirit of God in you? Well, yes, I accepted Jesus. It's like, oh, no worries. These do not have the Spirit of God. They are not saved. They are not. Now, I do believe that there are people who come in here day and night, or not day and night, but, you know, weekly, whatever. They come time and time again that think they're believers and they are truly not. And I want to give you that opportunity at the end if you're going like, oh, geez, I think that's me. Then you repent and you come to Christ and be assured of your salvation. Because I know that some people say that they are, but they are not. And God knows. God knows if you're playing that game. But those of you who worry about having fallen into those traps, then you repent. The apostates don't do that. They do not have the Spirit of God. And the Apostle John shared these things with us in John chapter 4 as we were covering it last year. Verses 1 through 4, it says, Beloved, 
Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of Antichrist, which, is, which you have heard is coming and is now already in the world. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. There are two places that you can be at this morning, only two. There's no middle ground. If you think that you're in the middle of the road, you're going to get run over because Satan owns the road. There's only two places that you can find yourself, saved or not saved. You're either a saint or you ain't. Bottom line, that's it. You either have the Spirit of God in you and you are saved, not perfect, but saved, or you do not have the, the Spirit of God and you are not saved. As Christians, we know that we are saved, that what we, what we are saved from and saved for. We are saved from the penalty of sin, which is judgment and eternal eternal being apart eternally from God. And we are saved for the glory of God. We are saved and we are free from sin and death and the judgment because Jesus took all that on the cross. And we get to live for Him and be with Him for eternity. Let's stand as we close in prayer. Father, even right now, Lord God, as we have shared Your Word We've read many scriptures, Lord God, to show us once again the things that you have reminded your church, your people. And I pray for those who are saved this morning, that, Lord, they would continue to walk in the newness of life, Lord. But I pray for those who are battling in such a way that they keep on being defeated because they do not have the Spirit or they've not been baptized with the Spirit of God in such a way that there is power coming out of their life. And I pray for them right now. I, I, I want to give you this opportunity to just pray that the Holy Spirit would fall upon you because you've been a Christian for a while, but you keep on battling in such a way that you are defeated constantly. And if you just raise your hand, I just want to pray for you that the Holy Spirit would come upon you like it did on, on, on uh, Pentecost, that it came and it just flooded them and they had the power of God to be able to go out and share the gospel. I see your hands. Anybody else? I just want to pray for you. Amen. Because you need the power of God in your life. Father in, in heaven, I just pray for all these people who right now, Lord God, they want your spirit. Father, they've, they, 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 they've been defeated, but they want power in their life. And so right now, Lord God, I pray that God, your Holy Spirit, would come upon them as it did on the day of Pentecost in such a way that these people will never be the same because the spirit of God is now upon them. And I pray that, Father, you would give them that, the, the gifts that they need for discernment, for wisdom, for faith, for, for whatever it is, for prophecy, for tongues, whatever it is, Lord God, that you would flood them with your power, that they might use all these gifts for your glory and your glory alone, Father. And so I pray for all my brothers and sisters who have raised their hands, Lord God. But, Father, if there's any, you can put your hands down, if there's any who are not saved, 
And you know that you're not because you're not on the other side. You know where you stand. If there's any who are not saved, I want to give you that opportunity to say, I need Jesus. I need Jesus in my life. Not if you're saved already. You know if you are. If there's anyone that's not, just raise your hand and I want to pray for you. Don't walk out of here without having the Spirit of God in your life. Father, we thank you, Lord. We thank you for the work that you have done in this church, Lord, with these people. My brothers and sisters, Lord God. Those who have been filled for years with your Spirit and those who have just been filled this morning, that, Lord, there would be power in and among their lives as they walk out these doors, Lord God, and the enemy punches them in the faith, Face, they would be able to stand and stand firm and contend for the faith like they never have before. And we ask that you would go before us and we thank you that you have given us your word to remind us, to teach us, to equip us to do the work of the ministry. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. Be 